And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Well, if you've hit play wondering why we're talking about Graham Potter's Chelsea exit again, the Athletic's finest have been hard at work since Sunday night, piecing together the full story of exactly how things unraveled for Potter in West London. Hogwarts jibes, who really wields the power behind the throne, and a playing squad so bloated that it couldn't fit into one dressing room. I'm Ian Irving, and this is that story. Like I said, I don't really see it as a, a risk in a negative way, but uh, I think everything is a, a, a bit unknown, and that's the beauty of life. They get a second chance, pushed away, and Gross is there! You don't sack Thomas Tuchel and go to Graham Potter. Roberto Di Zerbi will get his first win as Brighton head coach on today of all days as Graham Potter returns to the Alex. I don't think he was enjoying it there. I think he'll have thought it was mad. You can't just go out and buy all the people in the world and expect to win games. It doesn't work that way. Um, so he's trying to do it the American way, coming from an American, and that's just it just doesn't work that way. Um, they've stuck with the team. The support we've had has been amazing. Um, and we'll lead them on Saturday. We'll try, and, we'll try and beat Everton, and then we'll take the draw, and then we'll try and win the f***ing Champions League. Again, yeah! is on to it! Passes it in! It's a glorious goal from John McGinn! It's a long overdue goal from him for Aston Villa! It's really Okay, the Athletics Chelsea correspondent Simon Johnson and David Ornstein are back on the show today. Yesterday, we did the news, why Chelsea sacked him, who's in the frame to replace him, and what's next for Graham Potter. Today, we're ready to tell the whole story. Um, we're going to go back to the start, Simon, if that's okay. And that's Thomas Tuchel being sacked and being replaced by Graham Potter. Why do you think the owners acted back then so swiftly to change boss? It, it just wasn't a right fit. They wanted a collaborative approach. Um, they didn't feel they were getting that with Thomas Tuchel. Um, and I know that's been part of the problem, actually, is, is Graham Potter succeeding such a, a, a popular coach in the fans' fans' eyes. But it was a marriage that was never going to work. Tuchel preferred the previous way of running things when he was left to his own devices a lot more at the training ground. The, the relationship he had with Petr Cech and Marina Granovskaya was a lot more solid. And he's inferred that in comments he's made in reaction to Potter's sacking, actually, if you've noticed over the last few days, um, last 24 hours rather, that he's kind of said, yes, it took me a long time to get over leaving Chelsea, but it's not the Chelsea I loved or, or words to that effect. So actually, it, in an ideal world, they would have made this change um, in the summer when it, when it clearly wasn't working rather than stumbling on till September. And that meant Potter was behind from the get-go, in my opinion, in terms of he didn't have a pre-season to work with these players. You speak to a lot of people within the game who say that was a disastrous decision. A Champions League winning coach who had uh, picked up so many trophies with Chelsea, made such a difference since arriving, connected so well with the players and the supporters who 
really do long for him. But I don't think it's unusual to see ownerships go for their own man in the dugout. Um, in fact, this new ownership at Chelsea has changed so many things on and off the pitch and so many people as well. And one thing I don't sense is that they regret the Tuchel decision. I actually think whether you agree with this or not, and there will be some very polarising views on it, that they wouldn't change it if put in that position again. It's just that the replacement hasn't worked out. Yeah, he hasn't. There's no doubt about that. And it's interesting as well, Simon, that you said that he wasn't the right fit for the new ownership, Thomas Tuchel, because in Graham Potter, they couldn't have picked a much different manager, really, could they? No, complete opposite. Um, someone that, that was very willing to engage with them at all times. And that's one of the reasons why they went for him. He, he, he bought into the project. And, and that's why there's actually, I think, a great sense of sadness that this, is, this hasn't worked out. The plan was that, yes, there was going to be new young players signed and a, a sort of refreshing of the squad. And in Graham Potter, although he's 47, they saw a young manager... Because um, 47 depends depends how you look at that age. I'm um, smirking. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> but the thought process was that he was a young manager, as in up-and-coming manager, one with a lot of potential that would grow with them. And and so even though that I think there was a bit of a um, a thought process that there there could be some some uh, downturn along the way that not everything would run smoothly. I think they were prepared for that. What they weren't prepared for. Was it for it to be this bad and for the sheer lack of identity on the pitch that there wasn't any sign of progress? Yeah, of course, there's a bizarre line which you talked about on the podcast on Monday in the announcement saying that Potter would facilitate what comes next, which I've never seen before and I doubt we'll see often in the future. David, what was the first sign that you heard of or you saw where it seemed like it wasn't quite going right for, for Potter at Chelsea? Well, the external dissatisfaction had been building. And by external, I mean people outside the inner sanctum. So you're talking supporters, media, commentators. There was clearly, um, despite a really quite impressive unbeaten start to his reign, perhaps a sense that he wasn't a great fit from early on. Certain things, whether it be his communication in in press conferences, um, players not taking to his style, his ability to handle all of these new signings in January, which really I feel was a bit of a poison chalice. I'm not sure any manager could have dealt too much better. But then it came to a, a, a crunch, you felt, around the time of Tottenham away, which was really just an insipid performance. And there were legitimate questions then being asked of um, his team selection, his judgment, you know, the decision to play Hakim Ziyech from the start, just a very short time after his proposed move to PSG had collapsed, that definitely raised eyebrows. Potter's inability to get a tune out of Chelsea in such an important match against such fierce rivals. Leeds and Dortmund were make or break. He won them both. Uh, he then produced a really good performance against Leicester to give himself a stay of execution. But when a hierarchy has had these doubts, especially a hierarchy that was seeing him as a, an appointment for the long term, that sense that doubts are already creeping in should set alarm bells ringing. And that's when I just started to feel that both externally and now internally, if he didn't continue that upward trajectory, it would become harder each time mm. to recover. And Everton... 
I think was a devastating blow, that late goal. I don't think much as much was made of it as you might expect because of that winning run just before and because of the international break straight afterwards. But then when you come back and, and lose to Aston Villa 2-0, I think it would have been a bigger surprise to the majority of people by this point with as we detail in the long read on The Athletic, you know, open mutiny by this point within Stamford Bridge coming from the stands, chance if you don't know what you're doing, it was game over. And I don't think that came as a massive surprise. It was more that the ownership that had placed so much faith in him, given him a five-year contract and had said all the right things despite all the noise and pressure they were facing, had buckled and decided to pull the plug. Simon, the Chelsea dressing room over the years has been a very strong one. There's been some very influential figures in there who a few years ago had the ear of Roman Abramovich more so than the managers, it, it seemed like. This dressing room is different, undoubtedly. But when you go through some of the detail in the piece that you and David have written, the backstory of how it's gone wrong for Graham Potter on The Athletic, there are some interesting details that felt like they built during Potter's time about the players' doubts about their manager. Yeah, um, and, and to be honest, it wasn't like open mutiny. It wasn't like um, downing tools or anything like that. It's just when you're uh, players who've, of course, played under top managers um, who won things, you know the difference. So as as much as from what, what we're sort of saying, that the players liked him as a person, there were still doubts about whether he was cut out for the job, hence why we talk about... The, as you've already mentioned, the nickname of, of, of Harry and, and Hogwarts, not very imaginative. I wonder how they came up with it. Yeah, it yeah, took a yeah. While. Didn't didn't take well. Footballers, you know, sometimes don't <laughs> aren't known perhaps for the subtlety of their banter sometimes. But even things like going on a fans forum and 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 dropping the f bomb, yeah, um, that sparked a lot of. Well, we've never heard him swear before, and where's that come from? And this is off the back of a few wins. That sort of raise of eyebrows. I and, thought it was and... really interesting that line as well that the players had never heard him swear. Now I know there's completely different types of managerial styles and different ways even to be people, but that that shocked me in a in a dressing room environment. Yeah, because you, you picture a manager at halftime, don't you? You know the classic sort of hairdryer treatment, the throwing of teacups across the room, all that. But but that was also what you were hearing that. And and this is not a criticism. This is his style, and he and he often said that I can't be something I'm not. Um, and he's mm. right to do things his way. But you can imagine if someone comes in and says the same thing, you're doing well. This is good. It will come. You hear that once, you go okay. You hear that twice, okay. When it's every single time, the message it diminishes in its meaning, and people start to think. Mm, are you, are you really cut out for this job? And, and you know, it's like I said, I hasten to add, it's not that it's not like he lost the dressing room like you would, you would describe previous Chelsea managers losing the dressing room. But let's just say they didn't have the belief in him. And I think that is just as important, particularly when you're playing at such a high level under such scrutiny. Yeah, and I think that we need to be fair in this and say that Graham Potter has got to shoulder some blame. I think he would accept that himself. There were uh, a number of selection decisions that you can call into question. Um, we detail how, you know, he asked 
words to the effect of, you know, what do the players think of me? And that belied a, a lack of confidence. And when a manager at a club like this, any club really, but especially at such a high level where the expectations are to win trophies, the hierarchy will detect and pick up on that. Any sign of weakness you show explicitly to the outside world in your press conference, if you're not exuding the the belief that they feel a Chelsea manager should, then they will start to have their own doubts. And I think you need to also flip it over and and have a look at the ownership too. I think it's fair to to scrutinise them. It has been a relatively short period of time that they've been at the helm, um, and I'm sure we'll go on to talk about them a little bit more. But from the outside, there's a perception of chaos in terms of the transfer windows have been extremely busy. Two changes of managers in, what, 10 months. Um, Huge amounts of money spent. uh, Vast number of injuries. Vast number of young players. Um, too many players in the squad, um, contract situations bubbling, most notably Mason Mount, but also N'Golo Kante hasn't signed his new deal. A raft of players who will be out of contract as things stand a year later and in 2025 beyond that. They've been very public, the ownership. You know, you've seen them on the side of the pitch being photographed a lot. Todd Bowley on camera sort of commenting on results uh, that, that, that go viral on social media. They've been very visible. They've heard the um, owner swear now as well. Yeah, they've heard, <laughs> they've heard the owner swear too. And, and you know, there, there are many in the industry that at the moment the jury is out on the evidence that they've seen so far on this ownership, or at least questions are being asked if, if they know what they're doing, if they've made the right appointments, the way that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was recruited uh, from Barcelona and, and then hasn't played a prominent role in the slightest. He, he doesn't even get in match day squads at the moment. Was Noni Madueki needed? Um, why is Benoit Badiashil not used more? And, and you know some of that will fall at the feet of of Graham Potter no doubt selection and and we are assured that the owners didn't have an overbearing influence on on team selection or or on the transfer market but they've appointed all of these executives they've now got Lawrence Stewart and Paul Wynn Stanley as co-sporting directors who are leading the football project they've got Christopher Vivell and Joe Shields in there in in high powered roles as well we hear that the owners uh, intend in time to sort of step back somewhat because at the beginning they didn't have these people in position, so they kind of had to do it themselves. And Todd Bowley and Bedad Egbali have have rolled their sleeves up and got their hands dirty in an industry that they know uh, very little about in terms of experience. So I think this is still an embryonic project, and that's why there is some sympathy for Graham Potter because you could say that, you know, Nobody could have succeeded in this, but um, there is a lot at stake now in various different areas of the club and the operation from this next appointment to winning matches to the Champions League tie coming up to the transfer window to their multi-club model uh, to complying with financial fair play and so much more besides that the story very quickly goes so far beyond Potter and I'm sure we'll touch on a few more bits like changing room spaces and things like that. Um, the ownership is just, uh, and the direction of this club is a massive topic. Yeah, it certainly is. We've got tons to get our teeth into later in the podcast. You've set it up very nicely, David. One last point before we move it on, Simon. Is the the chaos and confusion that David's talking about around the club has only really been added to by how Potter has been replaced in the short term. One of his coaches stepping up, a lot of his coaches still remaining around. I mean, how do we expect there to be any difference, really, if this is the decision? 
Well, we will find out first and foremost. I think, but I'm not sure when this is going out. But of course, Chelsea have a game on Tuesday night against Liverpool. So uh, I think maybe the the hope will be that the players respond as we always sort of see when a manager is changed. That there, there tends to be some kind of bounce back effect, like Spurs. It, you mean? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Great point. And <laughs> and. It is going to be weird to sort of see Bruno Salter, who, of course, admitted in his... And I felt very sorry for him to be thrust in front of the cameras, in front of us journalists on on Monday, an unenviable um, position to be in, where he suddenly have to answer questions that really he's not the one to answer them. He's not picked a team, as he admitted, in his life before, and yet here he is up against Jurgen Klopp. He could have um, lied about that, I thought. You know, just just say but, yes. But then you would say, well, when did you pick a team? Because he, he, he's he been That's a... Cool. Yeah, well, yeah. A lot of ex- <laughs> you can get a lot of good experience in the uh, on the playground um, <laughs> that, that he can take into life. But I honestly don't know what kind of impact him and, and the, the rest of Potter's backroom staff are going to have, given they're the same people that were unable to generate a response from when, when Potter was at the helm. But what you're hearing is that they wanted some kind of continuity whilst the search for the replacement goes on. And that you can understand, but it feels like they're leaning on the dressing room to come good, which has been known in Chelsea's past. Didier Drogba, Petr Cech, Frank Lampard, John Terry, Ashley Cole... These guys stepped up in 2012 under Roberto Di Matteo and won them the Champions League. But you can't say that those characters currently exist in that dressing room. One thing I guess is a bit curious on on the continuity point and a reason why I think Chelsea said in their statement um, this collaborative handover was that Graham Potter, you know, firstly didn't kick up a big fuss. It was all amicable. Secondly, he was very cordial in the negotiations over his compensation. And, and you know, he's not going to receive the entirety of money for the remaining time on his five-year contract. I'm sure there'll be some sort of settlement that may be related to when he gets his next job. But then was the staff point. I think Chelsea feel that by keeping Bruno, um, Bjorn, the highly rated goalkeeping coach, Ben and Carl McCauley, that they will continue to have level of tactical expertise and 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 rhythm that that has already been there under Potter and they were not too dissatisfied by you know they were creating loads of chances they weren't scoring if a new manager came in they would implement a completely different tactical style and structure and team selection which at this moment in the season might cause more problems than benefits but many people will listen to that and say no it, the results were were going wrong it's exactly what we need is a different tactical style and structure and setup and selection and that the continuity in this case is bad and so i do think continuing with this staff is open to scrutiny but in fairness if i'm continuing to get splinters from sitting on the fence um what other interim options are available right now who could do a better job and come in with a staff that is suitable to to manage this massive squad they've got to get this right and in the word dressing room came into my head uh, when you said it uh, a short time ago um people should read this piece because it gives inside information on exactly how difficult it was for potter to manage the squad numbers we've got stories about the likes of mudrick this 100 million euro package signing from Shakhtar Donetsk and, and Noni Madweki, a 
also in his own right, a high-profile signing from PSV Eindhoven, having to get changed outside of the dressing room in like a corridor area on a sofa or a bench because there simply wasn't enough space in the first-team dressing room. You know, you can't kick people out of their places who have got lockers, and so you have to get changed somewhere. Also, in meetings that were held by Graham Potter, there wasn't enough space. They had players sitting on the floor. There was a a match that took place, I think, last week uh, in training, 11 v 11 on one pitch and 9 v 9 on the other. And if that happened at most clubs, it would be maybe first team players on the 11 v 11, even with some young players drafted in from the academy. And if there was an overspill match, it would be reserve players, more youth players. This consisted of 100% first team players at Chelsea. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, that anecdote alone tells you the story of just what Graham Potter was juggling uh, in terms of the squad at Chelsea. What, what this decision's done though, Simon, as well, it's given us an insight into what it's like to work under these owners at Chelsea. They've been there less than a year. We've had lots of details and lots of insight along the way. But this piece in particular is the first real time that we've got a true sense of exactly what was going on behind the scenes with the Bowley Clear Lake ownership structure in place. What have you made of it? What were the details that that stood out to you that that told the story of exactly what it's like to work for, for this model? Well, one of the things that, that really stood out for me was, was just from the players' perspective, um, rightly or wrongly, they, they saw the constant presence of the ownership as, as a sort of almost big brother washing over Graham Potter 24-7. And, and whether that allowed him to 
have his freedom to function. You know, you, you can imagine anyone in their workplace, if the boss is constantly over your shoulder, um, what an intimidating sort of feeling that would be. But but also David touched on it before, and, and this has been refuted, but whether whether it's true or not, the players felt, or some of the players certainly felt that there was an influence on team selection going on, that, that possibly they were suggesting who should play in certain games, um, that... For example, Pierre and Kabamiang, there's a little line in there that, that that suggests that not only was he in a high base salary, but that every appearance he makes, he, he, it's a high appearance fee, and that is why he wasn't in the team. But if you're, but you've got a guy who's got an amazing record of scoring goals, and he's not even in the squad, that's going to raise questions. But like I said. Chelsea will deny and the ownership will certainly sort of say that, that no, this is a sign of their, their passion, that they, it wasn't a negative influence. But if the players are feeling that, that is inevitably going to have a bit of a negative consequence on how they're viewing the situation. And that hands-on aspect as well, David, it's not necessarily Todd Bowley, is it? That, that was another interesting aspect of this piece. Yeah, Todd Bowley has been the public face, really, of this whole takeover and ownership. Um, a lot of people using phrases like Bowley ball, Bowley's cooking, and whatever else. <laughs> Bowley's memes cooking? Being made up. Have you made that yeah, one Yeah, but the reality is that the um, larger investment in the takeover came from Clear Lake Capital, and their representative on a more day-to-day basis is Bedad Egbali. And so the piece outlines that the feeling among those that have dealt with Chelsea and throughout the industry is that the power really lies with Egbali. And of course, it's in collaboration with Todd Bowley. Let's not um, dismiss his role in the slightest. And and then, of course, you've got um, the, the sporting directors, Win Stanley and and. Stuart, as we mentioned before, who I think are very closely involved, like they're, they they were a key part of the decision to uh, move on Graham Potter, which is interesting because obviously when Stanley came from Brighton and they will be uh, running essentially the recruitment process for the new head coach and then making recommendations and putting candidates in front of Bowley and Egbali. But that's one dynamic that perhaps hasn't been presented in the uh, last 10 months or so in the reality that it is. Obviously, the owners will remain, Simon. There's no doubt about that. The players will remain for the moment as well. Half the coaching staff is still there in a sense. But what about the players? Surely they should have their share of the scrutiny and the criticism for how this season has gone because you've got one type of manager in Thomas Tuchel where it felt like things weren't going right for this group. A very different type of manager in Graham Potter where it feels like things have not gone right for this group. Um, there's been lots of them, but who should share the blame amongst that group, that expanded group that won't fit in a dressing room or an associated corridors? I, well, I, I, it's a collective responsibility for sure. I don't think we should sort of name individuals. What you could say is Chelsea played like a team of individuals uh, for most of the season. Part of the responsibility for that is just the sheer amount of numbers we've discussed. Part of it is is Graham Potter's lack of ruthlessness he could sort of say that that he he hasn't at any point i think we touched on this in in the piece that that the the fact that he didn't sort of almost stand up for himself and to say to the owners no i don't want any more signings it felt like that he would just go along with the flow and and the fact that he was changing the team 
every game. I think no manager has has made more changes in the in the Premier League since since he took over. I just think it's a collective failure. No one set out to fail, but it almost feels like it was doomed from the get go. That the timing of the change of manager, the sheer amount of numbers, the injury problems to key players like Angola Conte. Tiago Silva the last six weeks, Reese James, Ben Chilwell, I, I, could, I could go on. <laughs> um, and then there's also the amount of change just in general. I don't think it should be underestimated what an unsettling effect it can have when you see familiar faces that you've that, that perhaps aren't connected to the coaching staff that are suddenly are no longer there anymore. I felt for a long time, and I'm sure I'm not the only one uh, connected to Chelsea, that it's all been about roll on 2023-24. It, it, it's felt like a season that's been doomed for a long time. Of course, there's still the Champions League that could be a damage limitation exercise. But in terms of getting the, a more stable feel around this football club that has been very unstable now for 12 months since the club was sanctioned, it feels like it needs a, a, a summer reset just to get, just for things to calm down. And, and of course, the new coach will be very instrumental in, in calming things down as well. One point that Simon didn't mention there was the change in the medical department. And that is crucial in any football club. And we've talked about injuries too. Uh, Graham Potter's medical staff was changed in, in front of his very eyes. And perhaps that was something that the hierarchy felt was needed. And so they set about it and it could stand Chelsea in good stead for all we know. Um, but it, adds to the unsettling effect. Um, maybe there are other factors too, and I'm not saying this is directly an issue within the Chelsea squad, but you had players like Raheem Sterling and Kalidou Koulibaly signed early on in the window at great expense, transfer fee and high salaries. Reese James given a big new contract. And then come January, Chelsea adopted a more restrained approach when it came to salaries, even though the transfer fees were high. So you've got players like Enzo Fernandez and um, Michaela Mudrik on relatively low salaries under um, a, a sort of scheme that we've we've explained of amortisation and, and long contracts and everybody's probably sick of hearing that. You've then got the Mason Mount situation where it sounded like he was sort of being prepared for a contract around the Reese James level, but then um, the negotiations haven't gone so well, perhaps the level has changed as Chelsea's plans for their wage bill have changed. And that creates sort of discrepancies within who's earning what. And please, I'm not suggesting that that has harmed the um, dressing room chemistry, but it is a factor in all of it this that underlines the change. Doesn't it? A, a bit of a, a disconnect and, and a bit of a sense of the tumult that is going on at Stamford Bridge. This is a new club. Chelsea to what it was before. It's unrecognisable from its previous incarnation. And I think that's what makes the next chapter so fascinating. What will the next Chelsea look like? Undoubtedly, it'll be fascinating. Simon, you're going to be very close to it, I'm sure. One aspect that fascinates me, and it's something you said in, in your last answer, was that there's almost a point of criticism of Graham Potter that he didn't push back on these signings, that he didn't say stop, that he didn't say I don't want him or get rid of him or whatever it might be. But from what I understood, that was part of the issue why Thomas Tuchel wasn't the Chelsea manager anymore. So that then begs the question, what do the owners actually want in their next manager? Because it's going to have to be somewhere in between the two, which is not necessarily that easy to find, is it? No. 
<laughs> Finish podcast. <laughs> End. I'm off. See you later. Um, it almost feels like, look, I, I, as we started out with the show, no revisionism, as much as it didn't make sense on paper, Thomas Tuchel, wonderful job, wonderful communicator, ticked a lot of boxes. But it was a it was it was a broken relationship from a very early point of view. And if that if that that's the case, you have to you have to go your separate ways. You know, it's not going to work clearly. But you also want a winning manager, and Graham Potter wasn't a winning manager. He also wasn't a a manager that was as as we said already talked about that was leading progress on the pitch, improved performances. So it does feel like they want a bit of both with a collaborative approach. And this is what's going to make the interview process so fascinating because they kind of want the best of both worlds. And I'm not sure it exists. David, where are we up to in that interview process? It's only 24 hours since the last time you spoke about this, but do you think there's a chance that Chelsea have someone different in charge by Real Madrid, for example, which is only next Wednesday now? Uh, famous last words after our expectation that Graham Potter would be in charge for the Liverpool game. Um, <laughs> and we not. now know how that ended. Yeah. Thanks for the heads up. I think it's looking unlikely that somebody will be in charge by uh, the early part of next week when when this game comes around. Uh, but the process is underway. And that means that Chelsea, they would have had a a list of potential candidates like most clubs do for managerial change because clubs scout and monitor uh, managers, head coaches in the same way that they do the uh, player market. You know, there have been reports as pressure has built on Graham Potter of of coaches that Chelsea's hierarchy like. I, I've seen numerous reports about the likes of Maurizio Pochettino, who they spoke to before appointing Potter, of um, Luis Enrique, formerly of uh, Barcelona. But now this shortlist is going to be sort of crystallised into a handful of names. Um, and that's already underway. You know, Chelsea's um, sporting directors, Stuart and Win Stanley, will be initiating contacts as we speak, you could say, with um, potential candidates to set up conversations. And, and I think there'll be multiple conversations with multiple candidates. You know, the the wider media has pointed immediately to Julian Nagelsmann. There's some convenience in that because he's now available after leaving Bayern Munich, although there will need to be some negotiation by all accounts because he's still under contract there. Um, there have been suggestions that he's not too keen on getting back in until sort of May, June time. So who whoever tries to take him may have to wait. And when I say whoever, Tottenham were previously linked with him after getting rid of Antonio Conte. Real Madrid may be um, moving on from uh, Carlo Ancelotti, PSG from Christophe Galtier as well. And and it's been suggested to me that the likes of Pochettino and, and Nagelsmann are, are keenly watching the Real Madrid situation as a priority. But let's see. And so you're seeing names floating around, as we've said, Nagelsmann, Pochettino, Enrique, Glasner, Deserby, that's one we broke on the Athletic uh, just before we re- started recording this. That uh, Roberto Deserby is not on Chelsea's shortlist, um, so Brighton, Brighton can breathe really, easily probably. there um, <laughs> because they've got huge admiration, of course, at Chelsea for Brighton and their model and people. Um, but on this occasion, he he said not to be the the style, the fit, the profile that they're looking for, and so uh, they haven't made contacts with him and, and and won't be doing so. Also, it touches into why this decision has been made now as well, is that Chelsea are very conscious that they're facing a managerial battle to get their next 
next target. Um, you've got Tottenham looking for a manager. You've got Leicester looking for a manager. You've got clubs abroad potentially looking for managers like Real Madrid, as, as David just mentioned, if, if Carlo Ancelotti moves on. So whilst people will be questioning, well, why now, why now? It actually does make a lot of sense, not just because of the bad results, performances, but also because it's a key part in them now planning their next move and stealing a march on their rivals. Okay, and I'm sure you two are going to be keeping a very, very close eye on exactly what happens at Stamford Bridge and letting us all know on The Athletic. Simon, David, thank you very much. Do you fancy doing it again tomorrow? It depends what happens against Liverpool. Yeah, okay. I'll miss it. I'll miss it if we don't. So let's do same it. Same time, same place. <laughs> thank you both. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.